Word of God in Romans 3. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous, who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulchre, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness." he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. We read the word of God that far, 
And on the basis of that and many other passages of God's Word, is the instruction of our Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 23. But what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life? How art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ, so that, though my conscience accuse me that I have grossly transgressed all the commandments of God and kept none of them, and am still inclined to all evil, Notwithstanding, God, without any merit of mine, but only of mere grace, grants and imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, even so as if I never had had nor committed any sin, yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith, only. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, How important and how precious is the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The importance of that doctrine is indicated by the place that it's given in the Heidelberg Catechism here. Going back again to Lord's Day 7, Lord's Day 7 introduced the subject of faith, defined faith, is a certain knowledge of all that God has revealed in his word and an assured confidence or a hearty trust that all of those things are for me personally. Then Lord's Days 8 through 22 explained all the various articles of the Apostles' Creed and in doing so explained the content of our faith, what it is that faith knows and is assured of. Now here in Lord's Day 23, and then with that Lord's Day 24 as well, there's a conclusion that's drawn from all of that. And the question is asked, at the beginning of Lord's Day 23, but what doth it profit thee now that thou believest all this? All of the things in the word of God summarized in the Apostles' Creed. What's the benefit or the profit of believing all that? And the answer is that we're righteous before God and heirs of eternal life. And to be righteous before God is the truth of our justification. How important 
is our justification before God. The doctrine is certainly important from a historical and a theological point of view. This was the doctrine that was recovered and defended and proclaimed at the time of the Great Reformation. Luther said about justification that it's the article of a standing or a falling church. John Calvin said that this doctrine is the chief hinge on which the whole of the Christian religion turns. That was the case not only however many years ago at the time of the Reformation, but that's still true today. This doctrine is the heart of the gospel of grace which we proclaim and defend. And the importance of understanding that doctrine is evident from all of the errors that continue to be taught today with respect to this truth. It's essential that we understand rightly the truth of justification by faith alone. This doctrine is also important practically. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the chief blessing of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being justified, we have peace with God. We have joy, unspeakable. We have confidence before the face of God and the, the silencing of every condemnation and accusation. We have the right to everlasting life with God. Is there anything that's more dear, that's more precious to us than the truth of our justification? This word of God this morning is significant in that it teaches us again rightly to understand the doctrine of justification this word of God also is a comfort to our souls as it applies to us the heart of the gospel of grace. Consider this truth of God's word this morning under the theme justified by faith alone. There's four parts to the sermon this morning. That's not typical or usual but because of the importance of this truth and in the interests of setting it forth as clearly as possible, there's four points to the sermon. First of all, the idea of justification, what it is. Secondly, its basis. Thirdly, the means of justification. And then fourth and finally, the benefit. Justification is God's gracious pardoning the sins of elect believers and his declaring them to be righteous. Justification is a legal, or a synonym of that, a forensic idea. When the Apostle Paul uses the word justify in the New Testament, that word refers to a legal declaration. Here in Romans 3, verse 19, we read that all the world may become guilty before God. And the word, therefore, being guilty before God 
is a word that refers to one who's lost a, a legal suit, and they're liable now to punishment and condemnation. And throughout the book of Romans, as well as elsewhere in the scriptures, the idea of justification stands over against condemnation. And condemnation is a legal idea, which means the same is true of justification. When we speak about justification, we're brought into the courtroom of God. In that heavenly courtroom, God sits as the judge over all. He judges all things according to his law, which is the, the perfect standard and the revelation of who God is as the righteous God. You and I come in that courtroom as guilty sinners. Our own conscience takes the witness stand against us because our own conscience accuses us before the face of God that we grossly transgressed all of his commandments and kept none of them. And justification refers to the declaration from the bench, the legal declaration of God as judge with respect to our legal standing before him. Justification, therefore, addresses our legal state. It does not address our actual condition of life, who we are actually spiritually, but it is God's addressing our legal status before him and before the bar of his justice and his law. It's important that we have that. Clearly in our minds, justification has to do with the guilt and the punishment of sin. Justification does not address the power and the pollution of sin. Justification is not God's cleansing us and addressing our actual spiritual condition. Justification is not God taking a bad person who does evil works and transforming them to be a good person who does good works. God does do that. God does cleanse us from the pollution and the power of sin. God does take us bad men and women who do evil works and transform us into good people who do good works. But that's not justification. That's God's work of sanctification. And it's essential that we have those two important saving works of the Lord Jesus Christ clearly distinct in our minds. The moment we start to confuse and to conflate justification with sanctification, we're inevitably led into error. We're inevitably led into the situation where our good works are brought into the matter of our justification, which is false doctrine. These two are two distinct saving works of the Lord Jesus Christ. In justifying us, God addresses our legal standing. He deals with the guilt and the punishment of our sin. 
And that saving work of God, there are two important elements. First of all, in justifying us, God forgives our sins. He pardons us. In Psalm 32, the psalm written by David, having committed his great sins and knowing the forgiveness of those sins, he's describing the reality of justification. And that's why in Romans chapter 4, the example of David and the words of Psalm 32 are quoted there. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, David says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. When the Bible speaks of justification, it often speaks of it in terms of imputation. To impute is to reckon, to record, to count something on someone's record, their, their legal record. In justifying us, God forgives us our sins. He pardons our iniquities. He declares to us that he does not impute to our account our sins. He declares to us that he does not deal with us on the basis of those sins, that he does not enter into judgment with us for our sins. That's forgiveness. That's justification. That means then that our legal standing before God is that of not guilty. In justifying us, God does not count to our record, our sins, so that our standing before him is not guilty as if we've never transgressed his commandments. Answer 60 speaks of that. Partway down that answer, even so as if I never had had nor committed any sin. Our legal standing before God is such that it's as if we've never committed any sin before the face of God. That's the one element of justification, God forgiving us our sins, not imputing to us our iniquities. Justification, secondly and positively, is the positive declaration of God that we are righteous. As noted a moment ago, that's the meaning of the word justify in the New Testament. It refers to a declaration of righteousness. God not only in justifying us declares to us that he does not impute and count our sins to our account, but positively in justifying us, God imputes, he reckons over and counts to our account perfect righteousness. The truth of our justification is not only that we're not guilty as if we've never sinned against God, but justification is even more than that. It's positively that we're innocent, that we're righteous. 
as if we have perfectly kept all of God's commandments. And that's where answer 60 goes on. Yea, as if I had fully accomplished all that obedience which Christ has accomplished for me. If in justifying us, all we spoke of was the forgiveness of our sins and God's not imputing to us our sins, that would leave us in some strange, impossible middle ground. Not sinners, but not righteous either. In justifying us, God imputes to us righteousness perfect obedience to the law of God so that our status and our standing before God is that of righteous, as if we have perfectly kept all of his commandments. Important aspect of the truth of justification is that this is a legal declaration of God to the consciousness of the elect believer. The Bible gives two outstanding examples from the Old Testament of justification. Abraham, Genesis 15, and David in Psalms 32 and 51. And in both of those instances, justification refers to that declaration of God to their consciousness so that Abraham knew this declaration of God. David knew this declaration of God. In Luke 18, you have the parable of the Pharisee and the, the publican. It's the publican who goes home justified, knowing in his own consciousness that he's forgiven and that he's righteous before God. Justification is a heavenly declaration. The verdict of God as judge in his heavenly courtroom. But justification significantly is God's impressing that upon the conscience of the child of God. It's not only something that happens in some far off courtroom. It's something that takes place in the, the conscience of the child of God. So that as... Children of God, we know, we hear, and are assured of the forgiveness of our sins and our righteousness before God. This is a wonder. Justification is a wonder of grace. To see that, consider justification from the point of view of the guilty sinner, of you and of me. God does not justify the righteous. God justifies the sinner, the unrighteous. Romans 4, verse 5. It says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. It's from that that Luther, with respect to justification, gave his well-known phrase, justification means for the child of God, simil justice et peccatur. That Latin means at the same time 
righteous and a sinner. We do not appear in the courtroom of God as those who in themselves are righteous. God does not declare over us that we're innocent before him on account of anything in us. We stand before God in his courtroom as guilty sinners. Our own consciences accuse us before the face of God that we've grossly transgressed all of his commandments. We've kept none of them. We deserve, standing before the face of God, to hear the booming declaration, you're guilty. You're guilty. You're deserving, therefore, of everlasting condemnation and punishment. But the wonder of justification is that what we hear as elect believers is this declaration, you're innocent. You're righteous. You're forgiven. Justification is the wonder of God's grace, wholly undeserved. And that declaration of God is what silences and overrules every other voice and every other accusation. Romans 8, verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And because God is the one who justifies, no one can lay anything to the charge of God's elect. There is now no condemnation for we who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. No other person rightly can accuse us before the face of God. The devil himself cannot condemn us. Our own consciences are silenced and overruled by this word of God to us. We're righteous, we're innocent, we're forgiven, and we have right standing before the face of God. But how is it that God can make that declaration with respect to us? How is it that God can say, righteous and innocent when in reality we're guilty. We have transgressed all of his commandments. We've broken his law. How is it that God can say then, you're innocent, you're righteous? God cannot lie. God cannot say with respect to us what is not true. And God as a just and holy God cannot simply sweep our sins under the rug, wink at them, and ignore them as if they had never happened. As a just and a righteous God, God must punish all sin that's committed against him. That raises the question then of the basis of justification. On what basis 
is this declaration of God made to us. And what that impresses upon us is the need for what the Reformers called an alien righteousness. That's a righteousness that's not our own, but a righteousness that comes from outside of us, from another. We have no righteousness in ourselves. We need imputed to us the righteousness of another. That righteousness is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sole basis of our justification is the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The Reformed Confession here, God without any merit of mine but only of mere grace grants and imputes to me perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. Then in answer 61 again, but because only the satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ is my righteousness before God. When we speak about the basis of our justification in Reformed theology, we often speak of the passive and the active obedience of Christ. The passive obedience of Christ is a reference to the suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ endured of the wrath of God that our sins deserved. And the Catechism, both in answer 60 and 61, makes reference to that when it refers to the satisfaction and the righteousness of Christ. Christ's passive obedience refers to his taking the guilt of our sins upon us, suffering the judgment of God that we deserve all of his life long, but especially at the end, at the cross, and especially in those three hours of darkness, when he endured all the torments and the agonies of hell. He suffered the punishment that our sins deserved to the full. And then we also refer to the active obedience of Jesus Christ. And that refers to Christ's positive keeping of the law of God throughout his life on earth. And the Catechism has that in mind when it refers in answer 60 and 61 to the holiness of Christ. God's unswerving demand upon us is that we obey Him perfectly, that we keep His law flawlessly. And what you and I can never do, the Lord Jesus Christ did. All of His life long, from the beginning to the end, the Lord Jesus Christ carried out the will of his Father. He rendered perfect obedience to his Father, loving God with heart and mind and soul and strength and loving the neighbor as himself. Both aspects of the obedience of Jesus Christ are imputed to us. Both aspects 
not two separate things, but a way to understand the one obedience of Jesus Christ, that one full obedience, encompassing both his passive and his active obedience, is the basis of our justification. In our justification, there's a great exchange that takes place. The one aspect of that exchange is that my guilt is counted and imputed to Christ's account. He came into this world and he took the guilt of the sins of all of his elect people upon himself, and bearing the guilt of our sins, it was necessary for him to endure the punishment that those sins deserve, which was the torments of hell and the wrath of God poured out upon him, which he endured to the full. He made full and complete satisfaction for our sins. The other aspect of that exchange is that the perfect righteousness and obedience of Jesus Christ is counted as my own. My guilt imputed to Christ. Christ's perfect righteousness and obedience imputed to my account. In justifying us, God imputes to our account the perfect righteousness and obedience of Jesus Christ. And it's on that basis that God justly justifies us. He justly declares to us that our sins are forgiven because the Lord Jesus Christ has borne the guilt and the punishment of them at the cross. And he justly declares us to be righteous before him as if we've perfectly kept all of his law because the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ is counted as our own. This is the sole basis of our justification. There is no other basis or ground. This is the only foundation on rest on which rests the truth of our justification and our right standing with God. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. And that is the sure and the certain basis of our righteousness and our salvation. The opponents of biblical justification like to say that this is a legal fiction. This is no legal fiction, no mere arranging of terms on on financial sheets. This is a solid, sure basis of our justification. For the sake of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, we are forgiven and we're righteous before God. We are justified by means of faith and faith alone. That's the biblical and the reformed truth of justification. Justification by faith alone. Faith is the means 
or the instrument of justification. Here in Romans 3, verse 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. In Lord's Day 23, question and answer 60, how art thou righteous before God? Only by a true faith in Jesus Christ. And then at the end of that answer, inasmuch as I embrace such benefit with a believing heart. And then question and answer 61, why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? And the answer concludes there, and that I cannot receive and apply the same to myself any other way than by faith only. Faith, according to the Heidelberg Catechism here, believes in and embraces the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith receives and applies to oneself the declaration of God that we're righteous. Faith as the means or the instrument of justification looks to, rests in, relies upon the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness alone. And faith is the means or the instrument whereby we receive and we apply to ourselves that gracious declaration of God to us in the gospel. We are not justified because of faith. We're not justified on account of faith. We're not justified on the basis of faith. The scriptures are very, very careful never to use that language. If that were the case, then our faith would be the reason or the explanation for our justification alongside of the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. That would make of faith a new work that we have to perform as a condition of justification that God will only declare us righteous based on the, the worthiness of our faith. And that's flatly contrary to the Scriptures and to our Reformed confessions Answer 61 is especially concerned to guard against that idea in answer 60, having set forth the truth that faith is the sole means or instrument of justification. Answer 61 guards against a wrong understanding of that. Why sayest thou that thou art righteous by faith only? Not that I am acceptable to God on account of the worthiness of my faith. Faith is the means or the instrument that God has ordained by which we receive and apply to ourselves that declaration of God that's very different from making faith the basis or the ground of our justification, which is Christ alone. Faith is the fitting means or instrument of justification. It is that because faith itself is a gift. Not only is justification 
a gift of God to us in his grace, but the faith by which we are justified is also a gift of our salvation. Faith is not some inherent ability in us as the Arminian would teach, but faith itself is a gift. Faith is the fitting means or instrument of justification as well because faith in its very nature looks away from self to Christ. The very nature of faith as true faith is that faith does not turn inward upon itself. Faith doesn't trust in self, rely upon self. It doesn't trust in our own working or our own believing even or repenting. Faith always looks away from self, trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that really is the essential thing with respect to justification and even when we speak of the means of justification. It's the object of faith. It's not so much faith itself, but it's the object of faith. Who is it in whom we believe and embrace and receive and apply? It's the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And faith is the fitting means or instrument of justification. Because in this important matter of justification, faith stands over against works. Romans 4, verse 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. And in Galatians 2, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That truth is spelled out more fully in Lord's Day 24. Though that will be explained further when you come to that Lord's Day, we must say something about that here as well. Faith certainly will show itself in the life of the child of God in a life of good works, undoubtedly. But in the matter of our justification, our righteousness before God and standing before Him, faith stands over against working for righteousness. We do not appear before God in His heavenly courtroom bringing in our hand our works that we've supposedly performed. That's not true faith. In the matter of our justification, faith looks to Jesus Christ alone and repudiates all of our supposed working for righteousness and justification. We are justified by faith because faith repudiates the idea of all working for righteousness, justification, and our standing before God. And therefore, faith is the sole fitting means or instrument Justification.
truth of justification by faith also helps us understand the timing of justification when we're justified. Our justification has its eternal origin in God's decree of election whereby God in eternity has determined to justify only his elect in Jesus Christ. But the primary reference of justification in the word of God is not to the eternal decree of that justification. Justification's sole basis is the cross of Jesus Christ without which there is no justification and no righteousness. When the scriptures refer to justification, the reference, first of all, is not to what happened at the cross, although that's the only basis. The primary reference of the scriptures and the confessions when they speak of justification is to the work of God in the life of the child of God. It's evident from the fact that we speak of justification by faith. And as the catechism explains, that's the conscious activity of faith, believing in, embracing, receiving, and applying. That's evident from those two outstanding examples in the Old Testament of justification. Abraham and David, whose justification is described as taking place in their own life, in their own experience. That's evident from the order of salvation that we give in Reformed theology, regeneration, calling, faith, justification, sanctification, preservation, glorification, all of which is describing the work of God in the child of God in our lifetime. Describing that we're not describing eternal regeneration or eternal calling or eternal faith, Describing the work of God in the life of the child of God, including our justification. We are justified first and initially in our life and experience when we are first brought by the Spirit to conscious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Canons of Dort in Head 5, Article 6, make reference to that when it refers to the state of justification which can never be lost even in our deep falls into sin. We're justified by faith. Initially in our life, our experience, our consciousness, when we're first brought to conscious faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which for many of us, place as as little children already. Now we need that declaration of God reapplied to our consciences all of our life long. And that's not because there's some imperfection in God's justifying of us. That justification is perfect. It's complete. There's no appeal or protest of it. It silences 
every accusation. We stand in a state of justification. We have right standing with God that we can never lose. The trouble is that as a justified child of God, I still sin daily. And those sins trouble my conscience. And I need to know and to be assured and I need reapplied to my conscience that declaration of God that my sins are forgiven for the sake of Jesus Christ and that I am righteous before God. And that's what's declared to us again and again and again, in the preaching of the gospel, as the gospel declares to us the forgiveness of our sins and our righteousness before God. We're comforted again and again in the knowledge that our sins are blotted out and we have right standing with God. Beloved, hear that now. Hear that declaration of God to you in the gospel for the sake of Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. You are righteous before God in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. There is now no condemnation for you in Christ. There is none who can lay any charge against you. Believe that, receive that, and apply that to your heart and your conscience by faith in Christ. What's the benefit of justification? The benefit of justification is the tremendous benefit of peace with God and joy. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, David again, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity. And in Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The benefit of justification is the outstanding benefit of Peace with God. We know and are assured that God is not against us. He's not at war with us to destroy us, to enter into judgment with us on account of our sins. We have peace with God. We have right standing with God. That means that we have Joy, we have happiness, we have blessedness. This is the heart of the joy of the child of God to know I have a standing with God that I can never lose. My sins are forgiven. This is what gives the child of God confidence and delivers us from fear. Too often we live wrongly in our relationships one with another based on performance, the idea that I have to do enough to be good enough in the eyes of others. And sinfully, we might take that idea and apply that to our relationship with God and think, I have to do enough to be good enough before God. 
How could God love me on account of all of my great and many sins? And only if I've, I've got my life together and, I, and I've done enough, can I, can I feel as if I'm right with God? Let that thought be destroyed. If that were the case, then we'd never live in peace. We'd never know joy. Our consciences would be forever troubled that, have I done enough? We have peace with God for the sake of Jesus Christ. Our standing with God is not performance-based. It's not that we have to do enough to be good enough for God and, and His love and standing with Him. We are secure in the love of God. We are secure in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not the greatest joy? Is that not the comfort of all comforts? Know that our sins are forgiven. We have peace with God. We have joy. We have confidence. And the benefit is that we have the right to everlasting life. Answer 59, that I am righteous in Christ before God and an heir of eternal life. If I am justified, if my standing before God is righteous and innocent, then for the sake of Jesus Christ, I am absolutely assured I have a place in heavenly glory. That place is secure and certain. I am an heir of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that what I hear in my own conscience, God declare to me and justifying to me, and what's reapplied to my conscience again and again in the gospel, that I'm forgiven and righteous. That will be declared over me in the judgment day. From the voice of Jesus Christ himself, who gave himself for us. As we stand there before all of the watching world. As we stand there before all those who heaped accusations against us. As we stand there, our conscience exposed and all of our sins made known, the voice of Jesus Christ will declare over us, you're righteous. You're innocent. You're forgiven of all of those sins. There's no condemnation for you. There's none that may lay any charge justly against you. You're mine. I bled and died for you. You have right to life everlasting and heavenly glory. It's not our justification. The heart of the gospel of grace to us is this not the greatest joy the 
central blessing of our salvation in Christ, being righteous before God in Christ, we have all the other blessings of salvation. We have now already peace in our consciences so we can go to our homes this morning justified. We have joy in the Holy Spirit. We have confidence in Christ. And we have hope. Life everlasting and heavenly glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father who art in heaven, the gospel is sweet to us, humbles us to stand before the knowledge of our great sins and sinfulness. We have absolutely nothing of ourselves to present before thee. We cling only to the cross of our Savior thankful that in Him we have right standing with Thee. In Him we have the forgiveness of our sins. Apply that to our hearts and our consciences through Thy Word that we've heard and by the working of Thy Spirit in our hearts. And Father, work in us such a gratitude for that gracious salvation that we live lives of holiness and obedience. Bless us in this day, for Jesus' sake. Amen.